Well, as you're returning to your seats, I would invite you to open your Bibles. We're back to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, looking specifically at verses 10 through 13 this morning. Now, like many of you, I own a little device that I wear on my wrist called a Fitbit. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this device, it's kind of like a watch that measures things like heart rate, the number of steps you take each day, and the amount of sleep that you get each night. It can also monitor stress levels and track your exercise, and it's one of many devices of this type that we call wearables, right? You can wear these devices that give you measurable feedback so that you can adjust your activities to achieve greater levels of physical fitness. You can set a goal of walking 10,000 steps in a day or maintaining a resting heart rate of 65 beats or lower or get at least seven hours of quality sleep each night. It's a great tool because the user receives concrete, actionable information to measure and to improve their fitness levels. And there are times that I wish that I had a spiritual Fitbit, a device that would measure my spiritual fitness and alert me when I was going off track to know how spiritually healthy or unhealthy I am at any point in time because there are times when I'm feeling spiritually drained and I'm not really sure why I judge my relationship with Christ based upon legalistic adherence to schedules or practices I unwittingly give my mind over to sinful patterns of thought for weeks at a time I become overly reactive to my children or emotionally absent from my wife My heart for sharing the gospel wanes and my desire to pray becomes almost non-existent. And I'm not sure why these things are happening. There are times when I don't feel great when I go to the gym. I feel weak and unmotivated and my Fitbit can give me a clue as to why. Maybe I haven't gotten enough sleep over the last week and so I'm not primed for pushing hard. But what about when I'm unmotivated to worship or to pray or to forgive or to believe? It would be wonderful to have a device that would warn me prior to these times that I'm growing spiritually weak and I need to change. In our passage for this morning, we learn about how it is that we are to measure our spiritual fitness. But what we find is that our spiritual fitness cannot be measured in a quantitative manner like our physical fitness can. We can't ensure that we are right with God because we've said the right number of prayers or read the proper number of chapters in the Bible or given the proper amount of money to the church. Even more, we cannot judge our level of spiritual fitness by the way that we feel from moment to moment or week to week. Well, we should expect to experience joy in our walk with the Lord and growth in spiritual disciplines and holiness. What we will find is that these are not the determining factors in what it means to be spiritually fit. Now, before we go any further, we need to have a definition for this word fitness. What is it pointing to? Because it is in the definition of this word that we'll see our way forward. Now, in the narrow physical sense, fitness just 
means something along the lines of good health resulting from exercise and proper nutrition. But in the broader sense, the word fitness means being suitable or appropriate for a task. A puzzle piece that fits is shaped correctly to complete an image. A body that is fit performs biological functions to continue life. And a person that is spiritually fit is one who is able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or to put it another way, you are fit spiritually when you are conformed to the image of Christ. To be unfit leads to death, but fitness leads to life. You see, we were created, our purpose was to be an image of God, to bear His image of this world. This means that we were created to reflect the nature and glory of God in this world. However, sin bent that image and has led us into spiritual death. So then how do we come to a place of spiritual fitness? How do we come to a place of spiritual life and again glorify God? What we'll see in our passage for this morning is that if we would be spiritually fit, then we must turn from our own power and measure our spiritual fitness according to our union with Christ's work, Christ's process, and finally, with Christ's goal. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would guide us by your word and spirit. That in the light of your word we may see light, and in your truth that we might find freedom. And in your will, discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scientific research has shown that if you want to grow stronger, then you need to follow a process called progressive overload. This means that you start with a certain weight and you perform a certain number of repetitions of your given exercise. Let's say that you want to get better at the bench press. Right? People like to ask, what's your bench? I want to be strong. So you begin at a light 100 pounds and you do 10 repetitions of that weight. But then the next time you go to work out, you add just a little bit more weight. Say you do 105 pounds in 10 repetitions. And then the next time 
You do 105 pounds again, but this time for 15 repetitions. And you continue along this path where you just incrementally add load to your work so that over time your body adapts and gets stronger. You work harder each time and you grow in strength. That's how you grow physically stronger. How then are we to grow spiritually stronger? Well, many of us take a similar approach, right? We learn what we are called to do and to be before the Lord, what it means to be moral or holy, and we get to work. We write the Ten Commandments up on the bathroom mirror, and every morning we say, I'm going to do them. We write out a schedule of prayer and Bible reading and church attendance, and we think that if we execute this list that we will become spiritually fit, we work out a plan, and then we work the plan. However, that is not how God intends for His people to become spiritually fit. That is, to gain spiritual life. Rather, He calls us to trust in the work of another. Namely, the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 10-11 through 11 again. There we read this, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The first thing I want us to give our attention to in these verses is how our union with Christ means that we must measure our spiritual fitness according to Christ's work. Union with Christ means that we are so joined to Christ that His life becomes our life and our death becomes His death. You can think of it this way. A young couple is getting married and the wife has saved up a nice nest egg, but the husband has a load of student debt. And when they're married, their accounts will be merged and the wife's savings will go to pay the debt of her husband because they have been joined together. And in the same manner, when we are joined to Christ, his spiritual life is accounted as ours and our spiritual death his. He takes on our debt and we receive his wealth. It's clear from the text that believers are to be joined to Christ. First, we see that Christians have the same source as Christ. That means that they have the same source of life, which is life in the Spirit. Those who are joined to Christ have their life by the Spirit, even as Christ exists by the Spirit. Next, we see our union with Christ and that He is not ashamed to call us His brothers. We are family with Christ. He is the elder brother, the natural born son of the father, the firstborn of all creation. He is the only begotten son. But by his grace, we have been adopted into this family. That is what we see in these Old Testament quotes in verses 12 and 13. Right? Jesus says that they are my brothers and that they are the children that God has given to me. 
By His grace, God has adopted us into His family. He has made us one with Himself and with Christ. We bring sin. We bring death. But Christ brings righteousness and Christ brings life. How does this play out? Well, first it means that Christ must suffer the penalty of sin and death. He did nothing wrong. He never sinned. He wasn't deserving of such punishment. But His work, His God-given calling, was to redeem a people. And to fulfill that calling, He had to suffer the punishment that His people had incurred. The debt could not go unpaid. The work could not be left undone. And therefore, to bring His work to a perfect completion, to use the words of the text there, Christ unified Himself with a sinful people and then went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. And this is how you judge your spiritual fitness. Not by what you have done or suffered, but by what Christ has done and suffered. Because you could not bear that load. You could not lift that weight. No matter how hard you trained, no matter how scientific you are in producing a program, no matter how much you push the weight, it is too much for you. You are being crushed under the load. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and He shouldered the weight for you. He has taken your spiritual death and suffered and died on your behalf. And that is how you judge your spiritual fitness. By your union with Christ's perfect fitness. The second way that we look to the work of Christ is to see that He is the founder of our salvation. That word founder means a pioneer or trailblazer, right? Whenever a new country is discovered, it takes a courageous individual to be the first person to go and explore it, right? It takes a Columbus or a Magellan or a Drake or a Raleigh. It takes people like Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea to be the first to cross the country, find a way through the plains, over the mountains and into the new land. And what our text is telling us is that Christ is the pioneer of salvation. He is the one who opened the way from death into life. He crossed all the boundaries. He overcame all the obstacles. And He established the way forward. But this is His work and not ours. We do not lead the way into eternal life. We do not work towards spiritual fitness. Rather, we trust that as we have been united to Christ, He has carried us into this new land that we call salvation. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and life. This is what Jesus meant when He said to His disciples in John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. How do you measure your spiritual fitness? That is to say, how do you know that you truly have spiritual life? You trust in the work of Jesus Christ. 
knowing that because you are joined to Him through faith, His death has become your death and His life has become your life. Because Jesus is perfect, full of life, so too are all who are joined to Him. Now, one of the more difficult aspects of physical fitness is trusting the process of growing in fitness. It takes time and consistency to gain endurance or strength. And much of the process includes times in which you feel weak and tired. And that's why so many people begin working out but eventually just give up. They want the results but aren't willing to submit to the process. They want the cardiovascular benefits of running but don't really want to bother with waking up in the morning and going for a jog. They want the strength but are not willing to go to the gym and push the weight. They want the health but healthful foods can be expensive and they're not as appetizing as their junk food counterparts. So how do we trust the process of spiritual fitness? If we're not fit because of our work, does that mean that we just to use the popular phrase, let go and let God eat spiritual junk food as if it were and trust God will nourish us along the way? Does it mean that we forget about holiness and merely distrust that because Jesus is holy, we will be accounted as holy. So there's no need to change our lives. This false idea has made its way into the church. It's made its way into evangelicalism. The thought that because my fitness is determined by the work of Christ, I need not work towards holiness. However, this is not a proper conclusion. Yes, our fitness is determined by Christ. Yes, He is the one who brings us from spiritual death into spiritual life. Yes, we add nothing to our union with Christ except the debt that He had to pay. Nevertheless, if you are joined to Christ, if you have the Spirit of Christ, if you are in the family of Christ, then you must become more and more like Christ in your life. Again, let's look at verses 10 through 11. Examining them now from this question of process. For it says, It was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them Brothers, the word sanctify that we see in our text means to make holy. And here we see that Jesus is working to sanctify his people. He is working to make his people holy. As the text says, he is the sanctifier and we who are joined to him are the ones who are being sanctified. This is the process that you begin when you are united to Christ. He begins to work in you to make you more and more holy. To change you bit by bit, day by day, to be more like Him. This past Sunday, I had several family members in town to celebrate Easter. Our house at one point, I think, had 
23 people in it. And one person that came was my cousin who flew in from Washington State with his wife. And while he was here, more than a few people noted how much we look alike. Right? There's a family resemblance. Why? Well, because we come from the same source. We share a set of grandparents. And therefore, we look alike. I've never really had much time with this particular cousin. He's about 14 years younger than I am. And by the time he was born, I had moved away from our family in Washington State. Nevertheless, as we spent time together this past weekend, it became clear that we not we didn't just resemble each other physically, but we also talked in the same manner. We looked at the world in the same way. We had many of the same views. We looked alike, but we thought and we acted alike as well. We were family. And this is what begins to happen to those who are joined to Christ. Those who are called His brothers. We begin to be transformed into the family likeness. And this happens if we are truly united to Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is how we must measure our spiritual fitness. Are we incrementally being transformed into the image of Christ? Are we starting to resemble the family that we claim to have been joined to? Our spiritual life flows from our union with Christ. We are given spiritual life by the work of Christ and not our own work. However, if you are truly joined to the life of Christ, then by necessity you will begin to grow in likeness to Christ you will be sanctified. This growth in holiness is just that though. It is growth. It is a process. And a painful one, often at that. To grow in holiness, we must discipline our bodies and our minds and our spirits. God is the Father of our spiritual family will discipline us too. And no discipline is pleasant in the moment. Christianity is no afternoon stroll in the park. Listen to how Jesus speaks of this process. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Christian, are you growing Are you striving? Are you working towards holiness? This is not legalism. This is not works-based salvation. We are saved by the work of Christ alone. But the work of Christ is to sanctify you. And those who are alive in Christ must grow in Christ. Every time you take a child to the doctor... They measure the child to see if she is growing. And they become very concerned if over a year's period of time, they see no measurable growth. It means that something is wrong. 
It means that the child is not receiving the nourishment that she needs, either because of neglect or because of an internal malfunction. And you need to ask yourself, am I growing in my faith? This is how you are to measure your spiritual fitness, by looking to Christ's work within you to conform you to His image. And if you're not growing in holiness, then you must go to the source of holiness and trust that as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for His own good pleasure. You see, this is the distinguishing mark. Sometimes we think, okay, if you're saying that I need to grow in holiness, then salvation is achieved once I hit a certain marker in spiritual fitness. And if I can get that spiritually fit, then that means I am saved. But that is the opposite of what I'm saying. You see, you are saved, you have eternal life as you are joined to Christ, as you are in union with Him. At the very moment that you believe, you are sealed unto eternity and you have life within you. But the result of that is that you will begin to grow in your holiness. Not growing towards salvation, but growing to become more and more like your brother Christ. Now, it is common advice for those who are new to running to sign up for a 5K. When you do this, it gives you a goal to aim towards, right? You have the date that's approaching, you have a distance to train toward that's achievable, and you have the pressure that you don't want to waste the money that you spent to register or look like a fool and go out there. And so you are like, all right, I'm going to train because I have a goal. And when you're seeking to measure your fitness, it's important that you have a goal. And this is the final thing that we see in our text for this morning, is that if you're going to measure your spiritual fitness your spiritual life, you must do it according to Christ's goal and not your own. Again, we return to verse 10 and we see this goal, the purpose for Christ joining Himself to a people. We read there, For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Well, what was Christ's goal? Why did the creator of all things have to perform this work? Well, the text says to bring many sons to glory. That is the goal of Christ's work in your life. That is why he joined himself to a people. That is why he suffered upon the cross for our sins. This is why he is working toward our sanctification. He is doing it so that he might bring us to glory. In John 6, Jesus teaches his disciples about this goal, the goal of his ministry. There in John 6, we read, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Okay, so I've come down to accomplish something. And what I've come to accomplish is not my own will, it's the will of my Father. And this is the will of Him who sent me. This is the goal. That I should lose nothing 
of all He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The Father has given the Son a people. And the goal is to ensure that every single one of them are raised up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You see, the Bible teaches us that before the world was made, God chose to save a people from their spiritual death by giving them everlasting life in His Son. It was the job of the Son of God, therefore, to join Himself to this people, suffer the penalty for their rebellion, conform them to His image of holiness, and safely deliver them into a renewed creation where they would glorify and enjoy God for all eternity. That is the plan. That is the goal. You see, this is the place of joy in God's presence. And we call it glory our paradise, our heaven. It is ultimately the renewed creation in which all who are in Christ will be raised from the dead, body and soul, reunited to live forever in the light of the glory of God. This is Jesus' goal. The Father has given to the Son a people with the specific directive to save every single one of them, to raise them up on the last day and to bring them to glory. And hear this, the Son will not fail in this goal. The Son will not lose one single person given to Him by the Father. All of His elect will make it safely to glory. And this is how we measure our spiritual fitness. That is, our spiritual life. By the will and the power of Jesus Christ to accomplish the goal given to Him by His Father. Look, there are times when I have a fitness goal And I fail to achieve it, either by weakness or injury or just sheer laziness. There are times when I have spiritual goals. I want to pray more. I want to evangelize more effectively. I want to love my family and my neighbors and maybe even my enemies more like Christ. And I fail. And I am sure that each and every one of you here has the same testimony of failure spiritually. Because the Spirit may be willing But the flesh is ever so weak. But guess what? Christ never fails. As our text says, He is the Creator of all things. He is the Sovereign Lord of the universe. And it is by His will to bring many sons to glory that it will be accomplished. It is His will to raise up on the last day all that the Father has given to him. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus never fails. And this is why I'm a Calvinist. Not because some 16th century man from Geneva taught it, but because the word of God teaches us That Christ's goal to give His people eternal life, to bring God's sons, Christ's brothers to glory, and Jesus will not fail in what He intends to accomplish. And what He intends is not to invite people to glory, it's to bring His sons to glory. 
And this is how we measure our spiritual fitness, our ability to move toward and achieve spiritual life. We look to the will of God in Christ and not our own will. We trust in his sovereign, eternal, electing love that never changes. And we trust that as our ability to follow after Christ waxes and wanes, that God's will for our salvation never changes and he will accomplish his goal. And when we get to glory, we will not be any more secure in our salvation than we are at this moment. We'll just be more blessed. There are times when we need to think of ourselves as spiritual athletes, training towards a goal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see... Spiritual training has some parallels to physical training, but it is fundamentally different. You see, no matter how hard you train your body, there comes a time when that training will not matter. The wreath is perishable, as Paul says here. The outer body is wasting away. No matter how hard you train, no matter how well you eat, there is an upper limit. And eventually, you will not be physically fit. And you will die. But the inner self, the spirit, is being renewed day by day. And when we train spiritually, we are training to obtain a prize that will not fade. So how do we do that? Well, first we must realize that we cannot earn such an eternal prize. On our own, we have already become disqualified. But Jesus has joined himself to his people to suffer on our behalf, to pay the penalty of our sin. And so we must look to his work and not our work. Second, we must see that in being joined to Christ, he is working in us a process of growing us in holiness and we must look to him to work out our salvation in this life therefore we must pursue his purpose working with all of his might and not our own and finally we must trust that jesus will accomplish his goal to bring us to glory we strive and we work and sometimes we overcome and sometimes we fail but in the end jesus will not fail He has purchased His people. He is sanctifying His people. And He will glorify His people. This is how you measure your spiritual fitness. You look not to yourself, but you look to Christ and to His work alone. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now at this time. And we thank you that it is your will to bring many sons to glory. 
to give life. And so we come to You and we call out to You that You would give to us life through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we would live in and through His power, trusting each day that He is sanctifying us and preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.